Hey folks, you're listening to How to Win a Campaign, where you'll get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to run, but how to win. I'm Joe Fold. And I'm Martin Diego Garcia, and you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter or at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. Welcome and thanks for listening to this episode of How to Win a Campaign. On our last episode, we were able to talk to Dave Fleischer all about the importance of deep canvassing, how it works, and why you should use it. Today, we're talking about all things campaign ads and particularly creative. What you should be thinking about as you're developing your creative ads for your campaigns. And later on in the episode, we'll discuss how do you turn your story and narrative into a great creative shtick with our guest, Mark Putnam. But first, Joe, can you talk to us a little bit about why our listeners should really take the time to develop eye-catching and memorable creative and why it's important? Whether you're hiring a advocacy or political marketing firm like us, or you're doing it on your own, good creative matters because people have a lot of stuff that they've got to do in their lives. And most of it has nothing to do with politics. And we are weird and strange people that we are listening to this podcast on a Tuesday when most people would want to do anything but. So trust me when I tell you, you're an odd person for listening to this podcast. We really appreciate it. By the way, you can like us and subscribe. Give us a five-star review because you've taken the time this far to hear my voice. So please go ahead and do that. But you're a strange person and you probably are the person that is looking at every piece of political mail that comes into your mailbox and underlining it and sending it back to me. I know you are, but that's not the average person. The average person is lucky if they listen to, look at, connect with an advocacy or a political ad for longer than five seconds. People have a lot of stuff to do, and they're not really prioritizing politics at all, which is often a good thing. So you must have creative and engaging content that reaches out to them because there's a ton of shit out there, and a lot of it is bad, and you got to break through. I mean, Joe, I am one of those people who is an odd person who constantly is looking at the stuff. And even I get bombarded with so much stuff that I don't even pay attention to some of it. And so I think you're right. I think you need to be thinking about how do you keep your design simple yet cutting edge, right? And how do you keep it relevant? And you do that by really thinking about the audience perspective first. And that's how we do it at the campaign workshop. We really think about who is this ad meant to reach and what are we trying to get them to do? And when you think about that, it really, really helps you keep the design as simplistic as possible so that if, while they're doom scrolling Instagram or while they're reading rage tweets, they get this ad and they connect with it, right? And it is simple to understand and it hopefully drives them to whatever action that you're trying to do. Yeah. And again, as you said, call to actions matter. Don't assume that people know what to do have a conversation with them about what is needed and why, right? Whether that's advocacy or politics. Don't assume that people know where to vote. Talk to them about why. Don't assume that they know where the polls are or how to send in an absentee ballot. They may not. And why is it important? Tell them, but do it in an engaging way. All of that really matters. And again, fight the copy monster. The other thing that is really important is that don't assume that because you 
think it's important to send them three pages about your bio that people really want to hear it or need it. They don't. You need to shorten it to a point where you think it's short, and then you need to send it to a team of people who keep shortening it to keep it really short and clear and concise and connected so that it really matters to the people who get it. That is what is important. And I think sometimes it's what is missed in the process of creative. And I think you hit on it right there, Joe. There has to be a process. You can't just throw something together and throw it up on a digital ad or throw it on a piece of mail and mail it out to a household without taking the time to have this process because it's really just wasting your time, your money, and you're not going to connect with the voter that you're trying to communicate with, right? We at the Campaign Workshop have a very thorough process, which is probably much more thorough than you need to have. But you should be thinking about what are your overall campaign strategy first, What goals are you trying to achieve with this specific creative? Because with every creative or every direct mail piece, every digital ad, every video, the goal might change. And so you want to make that creative connected to what you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to get them to take an action? Are you trying to just educate them? Are you trying to get them to sign a petition? What is the piece that the action you were trying to move them to? And does this creative do that? simplistically? (laughs) And is it relevant enough that it's going to catch their attention with everything else that is bombarding them? Joe, anything I missed on tips for, for thinking about how to create these creative ads? Yeah. I mean, well, first, whatever it is, whether it's a television ad, radio ad, digital ad, direct mail piece, print ad, if you still do those, whatever those are, start with research first. And again, you might be like running your own small bout measure campaign or working to connect to your membership and doing this yourself. Research doesn't have to be a huge poll, doesn't have to be a gigantic focus group. It could be a message box and we'll share that in the show notes, but do something where you're really gaming out what the campaign is about and then making sure that that is conveyed in the creative that you're doing. Don't do the creative first, do the research first, do your message and your narrative, then make sure you're putting together creative that conveys that and has a call to action that people know. That is super important. Again, we're going to share a bunch of this information in the show notes. There's a lot of it on our blog, but it is very important that you are doing creative for the right reasons, not just doing creative because, hey, this looks really cool and neat. Let's send this out. Absolutely. Well, in a fun tidbit of Joe Fold Life Trivia, Joe Fold was the intern of our interviewee for this episode, Mark Putnam. And Joe, I just want you to talk a little bit about being an intern with Mark and now having your own company for now over a decade and being in the creative business for, I won't say a long time, but quite a bit of time. What's changed? Well, first of all, like this is what's so funny about the world like you're in when you're young. You don't like know of anything. I think I was 17 year old at the time. And I think Mark was at that point 25. So he was ancient in my mind. He was an old sage at 25 years old. Ouch. Yeah, I know. Right. What did I know, right? And then here I am on this podcast having you interview one of my mentors who was like seven years older than me, right? Crazy. 
But what it says is one, be nice to your interns. This is like really important. There are people that hopefully will do amazing things you'll get to come across. And again, I was so lucky at this point to work with Mark Putnam, Peter Fenn, Tom King, and Steve Murphy, who are all in a firm together. And I got to learn from them. And it was one of the luckiest moments in my life. It was really cool. I went on the road and then ran campaigns and then, you know, worked at the DNC and like got in the world of political consulting and got to sit where those folks were at some point. It's great. And I was super lucky. But what has changed? I mean, I think a lot has changed and a lot has not changed. Good creative, good message, good strategy really, really matters. And so do that. But what has changed is that there's more crap out there. We are bombarded with tons and tons and tons of stuff, more media than there was at that point in my life. I don't need to tell you what year that was, but it was a long time ago. And you have to figure out what breaks through. Oh, and the other thing I didn't get to talk about was we also here at the Campaign Workshop have an internship. So if you want an internship, apply. It's competitive, but it's awesome and it's paid. So check us out. It's virtual, but you can find out more about our internship at thecampaignworkshop.com. I am super excited to talk to Mark Putnam after our break. One, to just hear more Joe Fold stories, but also to really hear his take on uh, developing eye-catching, award-winning, breakthrough creative and what his process looks like. So stay tuned to hear about that interview right after the break. And we're back and we are joined by Mark Putnam, who has been a national media strategist and ad maker for over three decades. He served as one of President Obama's lead ad makers and worked as the lead ad maker for President Biden's Unite the Country Super PAC. Mark's ads have been featured in New York Times, Politico, The Washington Post, and many other publications. So we're super excited to have Mark's brilliance on our show today. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Jumping right in here, you have had an extensive and successful career in creating ads. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and how you ended up here? Of course. So I got my start with a degree in molecular biology. And at the time, my parents really wanted to know why they paid for that degree when I ended up almost immediately getting my way into this industry. I really had no idea while I was in college how a person could ever get into political media. It was a hobby of mine to follow it since I was actually a kid. And I used to take the occasional political science class, but really did not think of it as a career until senior year when I realized I didn't want to spend the rest of my life either in a lab or on the business side of biotechnology, which is where I thought I was heading. Instead, I thought, you know, maybe I should follow this passion of mine, which up until at that point had been merely a hobby. And so I was fortunate. People say you make your own luck. Well, sometimes you are really lucky in life. And I was the head resident advisor in a freshman dorm my senior year. And one of my what we called counselees was the daughter of Geraldine Ferraro, who had just run for vice president on Walter Mondale's ticket just a few years earlier. And so I asked her, how does a person get into this? Do you have any idea? And she didn't know. The daughter didn't know because she had, as she told me, only worked with the speech writers on the presidential campaign. She said, well, you should talk to my mom, (laughs) you know, just ask her opinion on this. And so Easter break came up pretty quickly and her mom was in town. And my first informational interview was with Geraldine Ferraro, who had just run for vice president of the United States. 
And I asked her, does a person go work on a campaign? Should I go work for a regular ad agency to learn how to make ads? Should I go work on Capitol Hill? What should I do? And she said, well, no, you shouldn't do any of those. You should go work for a political media firm. They do exist. And she gave me a few folks to get a hold of, and it helps to have a referral from someone like that. And that got me my first job, which was an internship. And I was making all of $100 a week when my monthly rent was $410 a month. So I wasn't even covering my rent, but my parents were helpful. My school principal dad and my school librarian mom were able to help me a little bit with that expensive rent. I did that for an election cycle and then went to work for Joe Biden on his first presidential campaign way back in 1987. And you'll know a true veteran of Joe Biden's first presidential campaign because we always say 1987. He didn't make it into 1988. When that ended prematurely, I then uh, was fortunate to go work for Peter Fenn and Tom King. It was a firm called Fenn and King Communications. And they became you know, really big mentors of mine for many, many years. I worked there for a decade, and then two of us split off and formed a firm called Murphy Putnam Media, Steve Murphy and myself. And I worked with Steve for 14 years, and then I formed my current company after the 2010 elections, which is Putnam Partners. So I've been doing this for a long time and had some luck along the way but also just really worked really hard to learn how to make political ads that I thought could work. What a fascinating first conversation as a segue into the political sphere <laughs> and also to come full circle from Joe Biden to Joe Biden <laughs> in this last cycle. So as our listeners, whether they're thinking about running for office themselves, running an independent expenditure, right, thinking about advocacy campaigns or ballot initiatives, what are some key qualities that make a successful political ad? I have what I've developed over the years, my own personal 10 rules of making political ads. And, you know, I always talk about them in the context of television advertising, but I actually think these rules can apply to other mediums like radio, direct mail, earned media, digital advertising. While I may lapse into my old fashioned way of saying TV ads, it really applies to all sorts of advertising media. And the first rule that I have is get the voters' attention and hold it for 30 seconds. Use surprise, intrigue, humor, emotion. Oftentimes don't tip off that it's a political ad right at the beginning, but instead try to capture the viewer's attention and captivate them and make them really want to watch. A good example of this is when I did an ad for Jason Kander where he assembled an assault weapon blindfolded. There's a backstory of how we came about making that ad, but the ad itself is designed to make you want to watch it to the end. You want to see what happens. What is he building? Is it going to work? Is he going to be able to do the whole thing without a mistake? It's just we as humans, if you get drawn into something, you're much more likely to want to watch it to its completion and see the end of the story, so to speak. So that's my first rule. My second rule is keep it simple. Don't try to say too much. Too many candidates and organizations as well make the same mistake. Try to say too many things. A candidate will do almost what is called a resume ad, where they try to say every single thing they've ever done in their career. Or an organization will try to say their 10-point plan in 30 seconds, and it's just not possible to do. So keep it simple. Boil your message down to one key point. My third rule, make sure it's relevant to persuadable voters. And for that, it really has to be research-driven. You don't make an ad just because you think it's something interesting to make an ad about. You really got to know who you're talking to, who your audience is, and what's going to motivate them to take an action. My fourth rule is capture your candidate's personality or your organization's ethos and play, in the case of a candidate, play to his or her strengths. 
really take the time to get to know them, learn how they're going to be best on camera. Are they talking to camera? Some are very good at that. Or are they talking off-camera narration where you hear their voice but see them in some activity? Or are they in an interview setup, which I don't do as much these days, but when I do it, I don't do it with the candidate talking to an off-camera interviewer like 60 Minutes might do. Instead, I like to do interviews where the candidate is talking to the camera, and I'm behind the camera, and we're having a conversation. Just figure out how they're going to best be presented in the ad. Rule number five, whenever possible, tell the story. I really believe that this is, again, hardwired into us as human beings from the days of cave people around a, around a fire with music and verse and, and the ancient storytelling techniques. I think we lean in and we want to listen when we hear a story. We want to know the outcome. So always try to work a story into your communications. Rule number six, self-deprecation is always good. Politicians showing that they don't take themselves too seriously helps lower that barrier of cynicism and skepticism. And it's different between women and men. It's frankly easier for men to be self-deprecating than it is for women. It's trickier, but it is possible to do. Rule number seven, take advantage of your opponent's mistakes and don't let attacks go unanswered. That may seem obvious in the give and take, the thrust and parry of political campaigns, but you would be amazed at how many times candidates and campaigns let an attack happen and don't answer it. Decide that they're just going to ignore it, and that can be fatal. Rule number eight, tone is important. I always like to remember that I'm intruding into someone's living room or their bedroom or just when they're in a private moment on their tablet. So when you're doing an attack ad, it just can't be a slash-and-burn ad with a red no symbol painted over somebody's face or using really unfortunate photos and freeze frames of people with a snarl on their face. Voters are fair-minded most of the time anyway. At least when they look at something like that, they might think, that's just not fair. Like, that's, that's over the line or that's just something I don't really want to watch. So tone is super important. Rule number nine, speak in the cultural voice of the electorate and from the voter's perspective. What I mean about that first off on the cultural voice of the electorate is if you're running in a red state, you're probably going to end up talking more about faith. And for a Democrat, I certainly hope you support the Second Amendment. If you're running in a red state, it's very hard to get elected if you don't support the Second Amendment. Speaking to faith, talking about your own personal religious beliefs, that that's something the candidate's comfortable doing. It's a way to connect with the voters in those states culturally. And I do a lot of work in red states, so that's kind of informs my perspective on that. And when I say from the voter's perspective, what I mean by that is voters don't think of the candidate as a hero. They, the people are the heroes. Candidates always need to remember that, that it's not about glorifying themselves. They are not the knight on a white horse coming in to save the day. They are there to give voice to the hopes and the dreams and the frustrations and the despair of people they're seeking to represent. They have to understand where the people are coming from and give voice to that and not expect people just to flock to them because they're running for office and they're a natural leader. That's just not the way it works. And then rule number 10 is repeat, repeat, repeat. And by that, I mean, not only should you make sure an ad is run like quite a bit to make sure that the average voter sees it on television or on the internet, but also repeat your message. Figure out ways in each successive ad to keep coming back to the core elements of your message. Again, back to Jason Kander when he was running for Senate in Missouri, that assault weapon ad is an example of where we talked not just about his support for background checks on assault weapons, but also he talked about his service in Iraq 
and how he served in an unarmored SUV, you know, carrying a weapon and being like a security person in an unarmored SUV. And we had elements of that service in the Army intelligence in all of our ads. We always try to figure out how we could bring it back to those core elements. There are many other rules and things you can apply to, to advertising, but to me, those are probably the 10 most important. Absolutely. And for, for most of our listeners who have been following the last two seasons, those should not sound alien to you. They should sound very familiar because we have talked about a number of those and how to incorporate them. So I'm, I appreciate hearing that repeat back <laughs> from you, Mark. We also had Jason on this season, actually, and talked about that specific ad and how I have utilized that particular ad in training for messaging. We live in a world where political ads can go viral overnight, but where most of them do disappear into a void. Now, I know there's not a button that allows your ad to go viral or a silver bullet that works for all of them, but what is it about good ads that help them really stand out and break through than other creatives? First off, I think every ad needs to have something unique about it and that again, tells a story or gives a unique insight into the person running or into the organization that's running the ad. I really try to do this in every single ad that I make. I try to figure out how can I make this ad in a way that doesn't look like a typical political ad. And that can be a challenge. I mean, I've done hundreds of healthcare ads over the years, but I'm always trying to figure out how can I do it in a way that's unique to the moment that we're in, that's unique to this person or this organization, and that people will find compelling and, and want to watch it. And if you're able to come at it with a fresh way of explaining the issue, it's going to be fresh to the viewer. They're, they're going to be a little more likely to actually watch it if they feel like they're seeing something they haven't seen before. And so I think most of the examples of viral ads, and, and our firm has had a lot of them. I'm proud of that. I think possibly more than any other firm. It's because we bring that standard to everything we do. Now, not everything goes viral. We have plenty of launch videos that haven't gone viral, but they're still useful to a candidate if he or she can use it to help raise money. They can send it to a potential donor. It's still a sort of a calling card of sorts. But the ones that, that go viral tend to usually fit a few key metrics. One, it just has a particularly compelling story, whether it's Amy McGrath being the, the first woman Marine to fly in an F-18 in combat and having that dream since she was 12 years old, or MJ Hager with her service in a helicopter, or Valerie Plame and her service in the CIA, or Chris Jones is another, he's a client of our firm running for governor in Arkansas, and his story of being an MIT physicist as well as an ordained minister. If there's some unique thing to the story, that's really helpful. Secondly, it's great to have an antagonist that is somebody that the donors that you're trying to reach, and, and that's usually who these longer format videos are geared towards. They're geared towards donors, not really voters, because voters, it's not a paid persuasion device to try and get a voter to watch a two-minute video, but it is a way to raise money among the Netroots activists. So you want to have an antagonist like Amy McGrath mentions Mitch McConnell in her launch video and how he ignored her letter when she was 12 years old. That's a helpful thing. The other piece that's usually very useful is to launch these videos in the summer when the political news is a little bit slower, people are on vacation, they might be surfing the internet a little bit more. I just have had more success with things being launched at the, that time of year. It, the things that go viral, the things that stand out, the things that are memorable, the things that actually in advertising persuade people to vote are if it's unique, memorable, gives insight into the person that's running, and it's just something that people want to watch. 
Absolutely. As somebody who lives in the creative world as well, I feel like I'm getting a master class right now <laughs> from Mark, which is fantastic. So talk to me a little bit about how you advise campaigns to successfully showcase their message within creative ads. You talk about repetition, you talk about the uniqueness. Is there any other components that you advise them on to help them showcase that particular message? Well, to start with, you have to really figure out what that message is. And again, research is vitally important to that and all the tools that are available to you from a poll to focus groups to ad testing where you might test different approaches on a different issue. You first really have to figure out, though, what is the core message of the campaign. And I like to think of it actually as what is the core theme of the campaign, which is like the trunk of a tree. And then the messages of the branches that come off of that can all inform that theme. For instance, Barack Obama running in 2008, it really was all about change, as oftentimes presidential elections are. But then it was changed our policy in, in Iraq, changed our economy because we were in the midst of a recession, changed the healthcare system. And so you figure out what those key elements are, and then it's make sure the ads deliver that message. Don't make a creative ad just for the sake of being creative. Make an ad that will ultimately serve the purpose of communicating that key vital point of the ad. And if you see that the ad is trying to do too much, like I said earlier, then you're not likely to communicate anything. So know your message know what you're trying to communicate, but then try to say it in a way that's different. And I know that sounds like I'm repeating the same things, but it's really important. These elements for a successful ad are not magic, and it's not a complicated formula. It's know why you're running or know what your organization stands for and what you're trying to communicate. Boil it down to a key point for a 30-second or a 15-second ad and stick to that. Definitely. So just out of curiosity, with the new infrastructure bill and the expansion of broadband to much more rural areas, do you see that as having an impact in the way in which you all are going to be targeting, advertising, utilizing the medium? Definitely. I mean, how we reach rural voters has always been a challenge, which is why we tend to rely mostly on television in those rural areas. But, you know, we have to use satellite to reach some voters. They don't get a traditional signal, but they do get satellite. When you're working in rural Alaska or rural North Dakota, they haven't had great Internet. And so here's a way that we can actually serve them content in a much more reliable way. It, It will definitely impact how we buy in the future. In order to humanize you, Mark, to all of our listeners, my last question here is, do you have any favorite book, movie, podcast that you would recommend to our listeners, whether it has to do with politics or not? My favorite book when it comes to political communication is actually from quite a while ago now. It's Peggy Noonan's book called What I Saw at the Revolution, where she wrote about being a young speechwriter in Ronald Reagan's White House. And what I love about that book and why I think it's still relevant today is, first off, is the way she wrote the book. You could read the entire book out loud. It's written for the ear because that's how she wrote. She was a speechwriter. At the time when I first read it, and I've read it many times over, I found the story entrancing. Now, listen, I'm a progressive Democrat, and she is a far-right Republican. I didn't agree with her on her politics, but I like the story of a young woman coming of age in Washington, writing for the president of the United States, working in the administration, being in the Oval Office, old executive office building. All of that is interesting, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. But really, I learned a lot about language and how to write uh, and the rhythm and meter of the English language and how it can be applied to a speech, which is also useful in writing advertising for other media. I just found it to be excellent. And then in terms of a movie, uh, a favorite movie of mine is has always been Avalon, made by Barry Levinson, who did a Baltimore trilogy, Diner, Tin Men, and then Avalon. And Avalon tells the story of a 
Polish family of immigrants, which is similar to my personal story of my parents coming from Poland, coming to America in 1917, and the changes that television and the rise of the suburbs had on the family and how it ultimately divided the families and, and separated them from each other. In some ways, it's a sad story, but it's a story of our country, and it's a story of how we have developed as a society. So they're both a little bit dated, maybe, but they're timeless as well. Well, thank you so much. I know that I have learned a ton just in the ability to hear your answers. And so I hope our listeners have done the same. To find out more about Mark, you can go to putnampartners.net. The link will be in the show description. Mark, thank you so much for your insights and joining us on the show today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. We'll be right back. Okay, Martine. Well, that was a fun walk down memory lane. I don't feel old at all. So tell me what your favorite part of that interview was. As somebody who, as you mentioned earlier, right, like is a nerd in this space and geeks out on creative and am constantly looking for new ways to do creative, listening to Mark was like a masterclass. I took so much from it, even just being able to interview him. So hopefully our listeners were, were geeking out as much as I was. But I think the two things that really stood out for me and and were a reminder to me too, right, is one, always focus on your audience and to keep them at the center of your creative process, to keep them at the center of your brainstorming, of your messaging, you always need to put the audience first. And that's going to change depending on who you're talking to and what you're trying to get them to do. And that should impact your creative. That should be a question in your creative process because it's going to make it better. And I think the second piece was the relevant piece. Whether you're doing this in-house or or hiring somebody to do this, to replicate stuff that's been done before for just the sake of doing that, right? Because you don't have the time or you don't have the resources or because it worked before. But every cycle is different. Every campaign is different. Month to month is different. What's relevant or sort of what is top of mind for the voters or the constituents or communities you're talking to. And to constantly think about how do I make this issue, whether it's the first time we're running the campaign or the seventh time we're running the campaign, how do you continue to keep making your creative relevant and current so that it does catch the eye of that target audience? And I think both of those are are really just great reminders as you're thinking about creative to keep in mind. Yeah. And you don't need a big ad testing budget to do that. You could share that with your kitchen cabinet of people around it. Share your mail plan, share your digital ads, share your rough cut of your video to say, does this connect? Is this what you're thinking you want to see? And have a conversation. Again, you're always working on a timeline. There's always a process. Everything's got to get turned around, but there is time to make sure you get it right and you need to build in that time. Absolutely, right? Ask your mom, ask your sister, ask your neighbor, like ask your best friend to just look at it real quick and see if it actually resonates. Uh, Joe, talk to us a little bit about other things that folks should take into consideration when they're thinking about developing creative. I think often what is missed is the importance of the little things that turn into big things. You're gonna do that one campaign photo shoot, make sure you have a good night's sleep. Make sure you really plot it out where that photo shoot's gonna be, who's gonna be there, what are the things you're gonna talk about. Get your scripts done in advance, really plan it out. Make sure you have a schedule. I can't say this enough. If you're doing a candidate or a membership, shoot, make sure people get sleep, make sure that they're wearing the outfits that show up well on camera. 
really put this together in an organized way, have a photo shoot memo that really explains for a video shoot or a photo shoot what it's about and what people are going to be doing and give them direction. Don't assume that people should just figure it out on their own and show up looking exactly the way you need them. So those little things matter. Having all this be organized in a place that you can get it, use it matters. And then having a timeline for when things actually need to be produced and not eating away on time, that matters. As you've said, the inclusivity of a community and making sure as you're sending this out to different parts of a community, making sure that you have people within that community that can give you advice and engage on it, all of that is really important. Absolutely right. I think knowing what you have and what you don't have is going to be important. And thinking about your creative in terms of, do you need B-roll? Do you need stock imagery? And if you do, how are you making sure that those photos and that imagery is reflective of the communities in which you're trying to communicate to, but isn't just the first thing that comes up on your search? I don't know how many times we have seen people's creative when they're doing a healthcare piece or they're doing an immigration piece. And it's the same photo because it's always the first photo that pops up on Getty images or iStock images. So dig a little bit deeper and try and get a little creative with it. But Joe, any other tips or tricks in thinking about creative? That it takes time and it's not going to be instantaneous and that you need to work with good people, hire good people. If you're doing this yourself, you need to understand that you've got to plot this out. The good creative emanates from your strategy and your message, not the other way around, and that it's got to all work together. And that if you're working on a candidate campaign, that understanding the story of the candidate that you are talking about and how that narrative fits the community is super important. If you're working with a membership organization, understanding what your members care about and how to engage them, really think about that. And again, think about audience, think about what the goal is. All of those things matter in the creative process. And have fun doing it. What I'd say is, is if you are bored putting together a piece of creative, chances are the audience is going to be bored. If you look at this and you're like, all right, this really jumps out, but I could remove these three words, remove the three words, make sure that when you're sending it out, it's as good as you think it can get. Different than perfect, but that it's good. If you are striving for perfection, get out of this business. That's not the business to be in because you'll be working on your TV ad or your digital ad for 10 years, but you've got to fit a timeline, but it's important. Well, that is a wrap for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you have specific questions or comments on uh, developing creative ads, please feel free to contact us using our social media handles or the email in the show description. And on our next episode, we'll be talking about what to do after you win. Tune in to learn more about how you shift from campaign to legislative priorities and turn campaign rhetoric into reality. In the meantime, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, this is Martin Diego Garcia. And Joe Fold breaking down how to win a campaign. How to win a campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Carrie Yanata, Gabriella Zwaffler, and Hope Ledford. Music by Mike Pinto. Sound editing by The Sound Sanagoma. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.